Heavenly Father, you're so real to us, and we're so grateful to you. Thank you that we can gather with a bunch of men and goof off and act silly and have fun together, and then just turn our eyes to you and worship you and thank you for creating us, to thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the hope that you give us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that this weekend that we would be open to hearing your voice, that you'd speak to us up here on this mountain, away from all the distractions of home, that you would change our hearts. If we don't know you this weekend, God, I pray that as we hear the truth of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would become followers of yours. And if we are followers of yours, I pray that we would follow you closer than ever before. If we're hurting, that you'd bring healing. If we're questioning that you'd bring answers. You know every single heart, every detail of every life in this room. And so I pray that you'd meet us right where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's welcome Mark Spence. Open up the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Open up those apps. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Thus reads God's inerrant, infallible Word. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that You would simply do Whatever, whatever you need to do to glorify yourself this weekend. And regardless of the reason why we've gathered here, here we are. We wish to see Jesus. We wish to get a clear glimpse of Him, God. And may you, Father, 
May it please you, Father, to do so. For our good and for your glory, we willfully get up on the operating table and we look to you as the great physician to perform heart surgery upon us. As the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And in your faithfulness, O God, you have afflicted. As the physician, you're also the nurse, and we believe that you will nurse us to health. So whatever it takes, God, our answer in advance is yes. It is yes. It's a hundred million times yes. Yes, 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 Lord. Yes, God. Now tell us what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I was, not too long ago, invited to speak to the Denver Broncos before they played the Chargers on a Sunday morning, and, and I was thinking about what I would share with them. And I was reminded of a Navy SEAL friend of mine. He said, you know, when I was training down in Coronado, there are plaques hung to motivate, to keep our attention, to keep us focused. And he told me about two of these plaques. One of the plaques says, your only easy day was yesterday. And another one, one that got his attention. The enemy would like to thank you for not giving 100% today. So I changed my whole mind, my whole outlook. Boys ask, are we finished? Are we there yet? Are we done? Men ask, what's next? And I told these Broncos, I said, your whole life, you have said, what's next? What's next? Undoubtedly, you went to school, you went to college, you played Pop Warner, you played Junior All-American with people who were just as good as you. When the coach said, 20 jumping jacks, burpees, push-ups, they did it. And then when they were done, they looked at the coach and they said, are we finished? But you had this mentality in which you said, what's next? And while everybody else hit the showers, you put in more reps. But the guy who's vying for your position, the guy across the scrimmage line, would like to thank you for not giving 100% today. And the metaphor obviously is there. The enemy, Satan, would like to thank you for not giving 100% today. 
when I was all done sharing with the Broncos, I had a gentleman come up to me and he said, you know, in February I was fined by the NFL because I had a DUI. And the coach came up to me and he, he fired me. And then two weeks ago he came up to me and he said, do you still want to play? And I said, yes. But I didn't know for the life of me why I was playing until I heard you begin to speak. And you talked about the glory of God. And I said, isn't it true? You come out of that tunnel and everybody's shouting your name. You score a touchdown. They're screaming your name. And people throw their tithes at your feet on Sunday morning. But you were created for so much more. Some people are so rich, that are so poor, all they have is money. And I want to tell you, and I want to share with you, something that I share with college students all the time. You were created to bring glory to God. This is the end of all men, to know God and to make Him known. It's not always easy to do so, and I'll be transparent with you. It is very difficult for me to be in front of people. My son can attest to that who's with me here this evening. I've read books on how to public speak. I've read epidactic dialogue, polemic speech on how to persuade. But I'm not up here with persuasive words of human wisdom as if that is going to change you or transform your mind. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel that transforms. And it's the gospel. This is the message that we proclaim to people. You know, uh, not too long ago, I was ministering in Kauai. Right? Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> so I was in this canoe with my wife, and our guide in a different canoe was taking us to these different beautiful waterfalls. And my wife says, hey, babe, you've got to share the gospel with them. And I, I said, babe. It's best you just shut your mouth. <laughs> Precious. <laughs> she ends up talking me into it. I end up sharing the gospel with him, with Kai. He takes us over to this waterfall. We climb up on these rocks, we're eating this turkey sandwich, and I share the gospel with him. And I ask him, I said, Kai, have you ever heard this message before? And he said, you know, up until last week, I would have said, no. I've never heard this message before. But last week, some Christian singer named Jeremy Camp, <laughs> sitting right where you're sitting, shared this message with me. And I thought to myself, you know, somebody plants, somebody else waters, but listen, God brings the increase as he sees fit, Right? And we don't always get to see what God is up to, but we know that he's always up to. He's always up to something. Right? The only box that God fits in is that box that says other. 
And unbeknownst to this guy, who I just shared the gospel with, and a week prior, Jeremy Camp shared the gospel with him, one week from that period where I shared with him, one week later, I was going to share the gospel at a Jeremy Camp concert. There were other bands that were playing as well, but I went up to Jeremy Camp and I said, hey man, two weeks ago, you were in Kauai. <laughs> Your guide's name, he was, his, his name was Kai, and, and he led you to these waterfalls and you ate a turkey sandwich. He said, whoa! I said, hey, listen, man. Last week, I had the same guide that you had, and he shared with me how you shared with him. Isn't that cool? That God has called us to be faithful with a message. He's not calling us to be fruitful. He's calling us to be faithful. If we're called to be faithful, well, he's going to be faithful to bring forth fruit in his season and in his way, whatever that means, but that's none of my business. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Salvation belongs to our God. Often when I go to the college campuses, I think to myself, man, I, this is not something I really want to do. And it's not because I'm ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. But when I get there, I'll say something usually like this. I'll say, okay. Oh, man, there's, a, there's people here. <laughs> okay. Um, ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Listen, my name is Mark Spence. And I am a Christian. You see, I'm unashamed to be called a Christian. I believe that Christianity is intelligent. I believe all the hard-hitting questions that man has been plagued with since he has brought a shadow to this planet is answered in Christianity alone. Questions such as, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? What's going to happen to me after I die? If you've asked those questions, you're in good company. Listen, somebody once said, be careful with the questions you ask because there's answers. You consider all the major religions of the world. They all claim to point to truth to some degree. In Hinduism, there's sacred texts, the Vedas, that says that truth is mysterious. Buddha at the end of his life, he said he's still searching for the truth. Muhammad said that he points people to the truth. But Jesus Christ, he enters onto the scene, and he never said that truth was mysterious or elusive or hard to find or that he pointed people to the truth or he was still searching for the truth. He said, I am the truth. He said, in fact, I'm the way. And I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. And then people begin to pick up rocks and stone them, right? Now why? Because here's Jesus, more than a prophet, not speaking from authority, for Jesus never spoke from authority. He only spoke with authority. You see, they were used to the prophets of old who spoke from authority. 
But Jesus, nobody speaks like this man speaks. He hushed the sea to sleep. He made the lame walk and the blind see. And he said, nobody comes to the Father. No one. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And the ultimate manly message that we will ever hear is a simple message. It's the simple message of the life, death, burial, resurrection of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's had no predecessor. He'll have no successor. You cannot impeach him, and he will never resign. He is ruling on his throne. He sits supreme. He's self-sufficient. He knows all things at all times. He knows your name. He knew what your name was going to be when your parents were deciding between half a dozen names. He is the wellspring of life. He is your creator. He's your God. The omniscient, the omnipotent, the omnipresent one. He is the forgiver of sins. He is our help. He is our hope. He is our sure foundation. He is the forgiver of our sins. He is everything that you will ever need. He's God. He is I am. I am. And guess what? You are I'm not. You are. You're you're I'm not. You're not lovely. You're not beautiful. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Not even you. You drink iniquity like water. You live in darkness. You drink darkness. And Scripture says you are darkness. Outside of Christ. And your sin has separated you from God. His arm is not short that he cannot reach, and his ear is not dull that he cannot hear you. But your sins have separated you from God. And this is terribly horrific news. When I share the gospel with people, I always precede the gospel, which means good news. The Greek word is euangelion. It's used 77 times in the New Testament. That means good news. Not good views, good news. But I like to say it's only good news if it gets there in time. But the bad news is that our sin has separated us from God. And I've heard many people say that regardless of what your religion is, that when you die, if your good outweighs your bad, somehow because God grades on a curve, he doesn't grade on a curve, right? He grades on a cross. But if your good outweighs your bad, they think, well, then they get to make it to heaven. You're talking about religion apart from Christ. Man, call me anything, but don't call me religious. 
religious. And you could be thinking, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy because I compare myself to other people. But have you compared yourself to the holy, righteous standard of a perfect God whose lying lips are an abomination to him? Where he takes an account of every idle word a man speaks. That if you use his name in vain, he calls you his enemy. I was speaking at a concert. There's like 13,000 people at this concert. And I said, if you've ever texted OMG, you're a blasphemer. And you will not go to heaven. And this kid right up in the front who paid extra to be near these bands, he said, man, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. We all text OMG. I said, well, then you're all going to hell. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Count it as a, a vain thing, a common word. You don't stub your toe and say, ah, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> no, it's the holy name, right? It's the holy name of your creator. And then you bring it down to the same level as a four-letter filth word to express disgust. Would you use your mother's name in vain? No, I wouldn't. Why not? Because I love her. I cherish her. I honor her. Exactly. The ninth commandment says you shall not bear false witness. Have you always told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Always. Because if you haven't, you're guilty of lying and bearing false witness. And you don't need to tell ten lies to be considered a liar, right? You don't need to rape ten women to be a rapist. You rape one person, you're a rapist. You murder one person, you're a murderer. You tell one lie, you're a liar. Sorry, forever. You rape one person, you're forever a rapist. You lie once, you're a liar. But listen, we lie because we are already liars. It comes from within, Luke 6 says. A dog is not a dog because he barks. He barks because he is a dog. We're just manifesting what is really in our hearts. The Eighth Commandment says you shall not steal. Ever taken something that belongs to somebody else? Irrespective, irrelevant of the value. If I reach into your pocket and I take a single dollar bill, and I go to run away with it, you'd say, stop, thief. No thief will inherit the kingdom of God. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Why don't we bring out these commandments? Because it's not comfortable, is it, right? It certainly isn't. But you'll never see sin in its true light unless you see yourself as a sinner. You'll never run to Jesus as the cure to humanity's problem unless you realize that he is the great physician who sets people free. We watch football. When somebody goes to kick a field goal, it says Jesus saves but the question is, from what? From him. Not necessarily from hell. God saves you from, from him. 
Before you become a Christian, the wrath of God abides upon you. And the only way to escape God's wrath is to run to God's grace. We escape God by running towards God. It's a paradox that makes no sense. Jesus said, however, if you look with lust, you are an adulterer. And you think, nobody knows what I'm up to. God sees it. God sees the people you're with and the people you want to be with. Some people here have a problem with pornography. And some people don't. And that's your problem. You don't. You don't have a problem with it. You just watch it. And some people realize the freeing grace that has come in Christ and has truly been set free in that realm. Right? But we broke God's law, and that's the point. We broke God's law, and therefore we cannot stand before a holy, just God. And if God gives us our just dessert, we will end up in a horrific place called hell. It's the only doctrine in the Bible that actually makes sense to me. Nothing else in the Bible makes sense to me outside of hell. I deserve to go to hell. Heaven doesn't make sense. God given me what I don't deserve, and that's grace. And what separates Christianity from every other worldview, every other epistemological religion, every other thing that tries to get its way right in humanity and before God, is this thing called grace. And this person named Jesus, they skew the two. What is grace? Here's the textbook definition. It's beautiful. It's God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. Unmerited favor, didn't deserve it, to the infinitely, there's no end, no beginning, no end, the infinitely ill-deserving. I love what Sam Storms, the theologian, said. He goes, you know, when God gives his grace, he does not give his grace by calculated measure. You need this much. And you, you need a little bit more. And you, well, let's have some talk. You know, we know how much you need. No, God's grace. You heard that bad news, right? I got into the bad news. Now we listen to the good news here. God's grace, it just flows and it 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 flows. And it continues to flow. It's flowing and it's flowing. For you and you and you and you and you and you. It's just flowing. It's flowing and it's moving. Come underneath God's spout where His grace comes pouring out. And the beautiful thing about God's grace and that it's unmerited is that God, because of His grace, will never grab a hold of your failings, shove them back in your face, and remind you of what a blow it you are. Matthew Henry said, you are at the closest moment of receiving God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness when you begin to realize that you can't do anything right. Man, I'm at the, I, can't do, I can't do anything right. 
come. That's the message. So grace is you getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is God holding back that which you do deserve. And justice is you getting exactly what you deserve. Grace, you don't deserve this, here you go. Mercy, you deserve this, here I go. Justice, this is what you deserve. It's yours. A bowl of wrath, take it. And at the cross, all three kiss. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because you and I owed a debt we could never pay. And the message of Christianity is a message of hope. It's a message in which it says, Jesus Christ, who was supremely innocent, bore on that Roman cross, that Roman gibbet, a penalty that he didn't deserve, knowing that you couldn't pay the ultimate price. So Jesus Christ, he became your substitute. And in so doing, he suffered at the hands of Almighty God the Father when the wrath of the Father came down upon him so that it wouldn't have to come down upon you. So either Jesus Christ is your substitute who suffered himself the wrath of the Father and in so doing he satisfied the demands of the law or you got to do that yourself. Good luck with that. Go stand before a holy God. When I stand before God, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Uh, ain't going to happen. It's at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I won't bow. Yes, you will. Oh, yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. We'll see. The good news about Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life is a story about how Jesus Christ came and lived among the people whom he created 2,000 years ago and how he lived a perfect life and he never sinned, he never broke God's law. And he became the perfect sacrifice required of the law that through his death on the cross he became the payment your sins against God. Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, taking upon himself sins of people like you and I. And what we must do is repent and place our trust in him. But God has to grant repentance that leads to the truth. There's nothing you can will up inside of you. There's no good works you can do to earn the favor of God, to earn the merit of God. It's an act of God, that God has to do it. And if you're within earshot, what you must do is respond to what knowledge you understand. He grants repentance that leads to the truth. So if you have a moment where you go, this begins to make sense, he's granting that repentance, you need to respond to it. You need to react upon it. He's not asking you to clean your life up. He's commanding you to lay your life down. 
and he sees nothing lovely in you to save you, but because he is love, he saves people. This is not an invitation to get right with God. It is a declaration, you must be born again. In fact, R.A. Torrey said, unless a man is born again, he's going to wish one day he was never born at all. We sugarcoat a message that should be rightly proclaimed from the housetop, from the mountaintop, from the outhouse to the White House. It's a message that sets people free. The truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. Not until it's had its way with you. Not until it's deciphered, it's cut, and it's jived. It's done its work. Because the Word of God is living, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We try to tantalize people's minds through some sort of clever words of apologetics. We need to just get to the gospel. If Jesus just came and died and he didn't live a perfect life, that just puts us back at Adam and Eve. But he lived a perfect life to give us the righteousness of Christ that was required of the law so that we could have a relationship with God. God didn't come to give us fire insurance. He came to give us the ability to see a God who knows all about us, loves us anyways, to know a God, to know the God who created sunsets and surfing and seafood and sex. A God who knows everything. This is who God commands us to turn to. We must repent, right? And it's that Greek word metanoia. We're familiar with it. It means to change our mind. God is not saying, hey, turn from your sin, run from your sin. The focus isn't on your sin. Our message is a focus on God. He's saying, look to me and be saved. Because when you look to him, when you're drawn to him, when you come to him, God, I'm leaving everything behind. He's not saying give up your pornography because you can't. He's saying come to me and I will strip you of your pornography. Lying is wrong because God is utterly truthful. Adultery is wrong because he's utterly faithful. The law is a reflection of a holy, perfect, and just God. And he says, come to me and live. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Come and taste. Come and behold God. And that is our message. That's the message I proclaim to you. It's the message we proclaim to our kids. It's one in which it says, listen, come meet a man who knows all about you and he... he his affection's on you anyways. I don't get it. God saves. Jesus warned, unless you repent, you will perish. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. God does not dismiss his wrath against sinners by the wave of a magic wand. Salvation is a free gift, but it costs the Father everything. And Christ made it clear that through his 
substitutionary death, he demonstrated his hatred for sin and yet his love for humanity. And through his obedient life and submissive death, he provided a way for people to be declared righteous in God's sight. He took the punishment that people deserved by willingly dying in their place. For God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And if he is willing to die, he's willing to do anything. God. Therefore, Jesus' righteousness can be credited to anyone who puts their faith in him alone. This is the great exchange. Your ickiness for his beauty. He's beautiful. You don't beautify beautify God. He is beautiful. 